Thank you, Chriselle, and good morning, Redeemer. It is wonderful to be with you, uh, to get into this part of God's Word, the book of Judges. I've appreciated many people coming and telling me how excited they are to spend time in Judges, and I assume they're, they're telling the truth. Um, the, there's a few people I know are telling the truth. They said, Pastor Morgs, Pastor Dave is preaching through Romans. How did you end up preaching Judges? And I want to assure you that it's, it's self-inflicted, uh, that I've been asking to preach Judges. I've been wanting to preach Judges. Uh, because Judges, it does have some, some, dark, some dark things in it. Judges is... When we step into the world of judges, it's a world of chaos, a world of sin, a world of darkness and sadness. Yet our world is dark. Our world is chaotic. And in judges, we see that no matter how dark things get, God's grace and God's salvation shines brighter. So I'm excited to get into Judges, I hope you are too, because as we prayed in that, that prayer at the beginning of our service, it's the deeper the well goes, the darker things get, the more bright the light shines. And I'm convinced that in the book of Judges, we'll see that life can be dark, broken, terrible, yet nothing is beyond God's grace, nothing is beyond God's salvation. So I'm going to pray that God would open our eyes even this morning to see Him, to see His grace uh, in the book of Judges. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, we thank You uh, that You speak to us. You tell us that everything written beforehand, all the Old Testament was given that we might have hope. So Father, we pray that You would show us Yourself more clearly today. Through this book of Judges, show us our sin more clearly, yet lead us not into de despair, but hope, trust, even rejoicing in You, for Your grace is sufficient. The light has come into the world, and the darkness uh, cannot, has not overcome it. It's in Jesus' great and good name that we pray. Amen. Well, friend, how is your heart today? Are you rejoicing? Are you overwhelmed by the grace and mercy of Jesus? Or has it become familiar? Are you day by day seeking to become more like Jesus? Or is your spiritual life in autopilot, sort of put on cruise control? Uh, are you rejoicing in the Lord or are you asking the Lord to restore the joy of your salvation? Are you day by day fighting sin or have you given up the fight and just given in? Well, friend, no matter where you are, uh, no matter how your heart is today, uh, God's Word is coming today to you today, bringing you good news. God's Word to all of us today is the same as the Word to His people in Judges chapters 1 and 2. God's call to us today is to remember the grace and commands of God. To remember the grace and commands of God. Uh, to see this in the book of Judges, it's going to be helpful to go back 
So today we'll look at Judges 1 and 2, we'll get an overview of all of Judges, but we're going to go even further, we're going to go back to the beginning of the Bible and just remember the story of Israel up to this point. Remember how God's people got to this point where they needed to remember the grace and commands of God. Here we go. Uh, From Genesis, we see our God is the God of all creation. He's the God of all peoples, tribes and nations. As we heard in last week's sermon in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell in it. All things belong to our God, He is the God of all nations. But though the whole earth belongs to Him, all people, all of humanity have rebelled against Him. We don't treat Him as our Creator, our Sustainer, our King. We live our own way and so we've cut ourselves off from the Giver of life, we've cut ourselves off from the Source of life. We deserve death, our world has fallen, our world is trapped in sin and death. Yet from the beginning, God had a plan to rescue, to bring back His world, all nations to Himself. In Genesis 12, we meet a man named Abraham and the Lord makes promises to him. The Lord says to Abraham in Genesis 12 verse 1, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. He promises Abraham a land, he promises a great family, He promises him blessing and he says that through you all nations will be blessed. God is determined to again bless all nations. And he tells Abraham that a part of that plan is Abraham going to the land of Canaan. And in Genesis 12, 7, he says, to your offspring, I'll give this land. The story goes on, Abraham's family grows throughout Genesis, in Exodus, we find them in slavery, in Egypt, yet God rescues His people, He brings them out. In Leviticus and Numbers, we see how He continues to sustain them, care for them and allow them to have relationship with Him. Then we get to the book of Deuteronomy and after many generations, they're finally on the edge of the promised land. They're finally about to enter this land that God had promised so long ago to Abraham. Now, a few weeks ago, Pastor Dave uh, went to Beirut and preached it the first week of, uh, of the, the church in Beirut in its new building. Well, here in Deuteronomy, this is like a commencement sermon, just as they're about to enter into the Promised Land. Before they enter in, Moses, and God through Moses, says, stop. And Moses tells them what they need to know before they enter the Promised Land. And basically, it's that they need to remember the grace and the commands of God. Uh, They needed to remember His grace. God wasn't giving them the land because they deserved it, but because of His great promises. Deuteronomy 9 verse 5, He said, not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of these nations the Lord your God is driving out before you, that He may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. They went into the land, it was critical, they remembered the grace of God, they remembered His his goodness and His love. 
But there was a second thing they needed to remember. They needed to remember His commands. Genesis, uh, Deuteronomy 12, verse 29, uh, they were told, when the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you not be not ensnared to follow them after they've been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods, that I also may do the same? You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods, for they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Everything I command you, you shall be careful to do, you shall not add to it or take from it. Remember the grace and the commands of God. God says, when you enter the land, it's important that you drive out the inhabitants. Because this inhabitants, the, the land is full of false worship and wickedness, child sacrifice, all kinds of evil. And it would be a tragedy for God's people to go in and then to be ensnared and to join the nations. God's plan to bless all nations would be derailed if God's people were drawn into false worship, if God's people would have followed them into that kind of wickedness. Then we come to Joshua and God does lead His people into the land. The book of Joshua, they enter the promised land, God gives them many great victories, they get into the land, they're, they're there, yet they still haven't driven out many of the inhabitants. They're in the land, but the shrines to the other gods are still there. They're in the land, but the idolatry, the wickedness, probably even the child sacrifice, continues around them and they're tempted to join in. And so, at the end of Joshua's life, we get another sermon, another, another sermon. Joshua comes to the end of his life and he tells the people something similar. Remember the grace and the commands of God. Joshua tells them in Joshua 23, verse 14, you know in your heart and your souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things the Lord your God promised you. All have come to pass for you, not one of them has failed. Joshua says, see how good God has been, He's kept all His promises, He gave you this land, He fought for you. But Joshua also says, be careful, remember the commands of God. He said, just as all the good things the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled, so also will God bring upon you the evil things if you neglect His Word. And so, as we begin the book of Judges, the people of Israel are in the land, God has brought them in, God has delivered, God has kept His promises, yet there's still a job to finish. They're in the land, yet the false worship and the wickedness continues around them and they're called to, to push it out. And that's why God's people need to remember the grace and commands of God. And as we come to Judges, we finally got to Judges, uh, as we come to Judges, uh, there was a good start. Uh, be, be helpful to have your Bibles open, to have the, the passage open in your outlines. 
I know some of you have bought scripture journals. It's a great, great to have the Bible open in front of you. As we see uh, from Judges 1.1, a good start as God gives His people the land He promised to them. From the beginning, there's trust and unity. Judges 1 verse 1, after the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? That's a good start. The people don't work in their own wisdom. They ask the Lord, who should go up? How should we do this? Uh, The Lord says, Judah shall go up. Behold, I've given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me into the territory allotted to me, that we may fight against the Canaanites. Likewise, I will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. This starts well, they're trusting the promises of the Lord. They're trusting that the Lord has given them the land. There's unity in the tribes of Israel. They're working together. We're told the Lord Then Judah went up and the Lord gave the Canaanites, the Perizzites, into his hand. God is with them. God is keeping his promises and they are holding to his instructions. This good start continues as we see God's justice. Verse 5, they found Adonai Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Now, that makes us stop. That, that doesn't feel quite as good. That doesn't feel uh, quite as positive. Yet, it's important for us to notice what, what's happening here. For a pagan warrior king, to cut off the thumbs means you can no longer hold a sword. This is pointing to, to the end of violence. While we look at that and we're, I think, rightly uncomfortable, the pagan king isn't as worried. The pagan king sees this for what it is. Listen to his words, verse 7, Adonai Bezek said, 70 kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem and he died there. Even this pagan king sees, actually, this is God's justice. His life had been one of cruelty, of violence. And God was working to move this this end, this cruelty, this violence, to, to move it out. As God sent His people in, it wasn't, as we heard, because He was fa- showing favoritism to one nation over another. He was coming, bringing His justice. Back in Genesis 15, when God had promised the land to Abraham, He told him, you're not going to go in for four generations. Genesis 15, 16, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God wanted to give the Amorites, the Canaanites, time, time to repent, time to change their ways. Yet the wickedness, The evil, the violence, the cruelty, the child's sacrifice, it got to a point where God said, I'm going to judge that sin, these wrongs I'm going to make right. When we remember God is the judge of all the universe, when we remember that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, well, it shouldn't 
shock us that God would judge a nation. It should shock us that He hasn't judged us all. We've turned away from our source of life, so we all deserve death. God's judgment, though it can be hard to, to look at here in Judges, it's pointing us to the God who will make every wrong right, who will bring justice to every injustice, the God who is the God of justice and righteousness. Before Him, no sin, no injustice will be hidden. He's a good judge. This good start continues, we get in verse 12 to 17, some stories of love and bravery, of uh, continued obedience. Verse 18 sort of wraps up this good start. Up till now, God's people seem to remember His grace and His promises. He was fighting for them, He was keeping His promises to them. They were remembering His commands, driving out the wickedness and false worship from the land, independence on Him. But it's at this point that things start to go wrong. Uh, from verse 19, we see that it's a job unfinished. God's people failed to keep His Word and drive out the wickedness and false worship. Verse 19, the Lord was with Judah, He took possession of their hill country, but He could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said, and he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. Now, that could be easy to miss. Uh, God's giving His people victory, and then we say they, they took the high, the high ground, but the plains they couldn't because of uh, chariots of iron. It seems reasonable enough, if they've got better military technology, how, how really can, can God's people come up against chariots of iron? It's reasonable until you see what we were told in the verse beforehand. The Lord was with Judah. Hebron was given to Caleb. If you need to win a victory, then sure, you need better technology and chariots of iron might be, a, might be an obstacle. But if the Lord is with you, the Lord of all the universe, will chariots of iron be a problem? They shouldn't be. Uh, God's people failed to keep His Word and drive out the inhabitants. In verse 21, we see the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So, the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. What they'd been warned about in Deuteronomy and again in Joshua, it's, it's happening. They're not obeying God's Word, they're not driving out the wickedness, the false worship, and so it exists among them. We're told, the original right hearers, it continues among them to this day. They've forgotten the commands of God. Now, false worship and wickedness continue among them. We then come to what seems like a nice story in uh, chapter 1, verse 22. The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. Now, the name of this city was formerly Luz. And the spies saw a man coming out of the city and said to him, please show us the way into the city and we will deal kindly with you. And he showed them the way into the city and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites and built a city and called its name Luz. 
and that's its name to this day. Now, what does this story remind you of? If you've read the book of Joshua, you would know the story of Rahab. As they approached Jericho, Rahab, the prostitute, she helped the spies. Uh, She helped the spies, she protected the spies. And so when they took Jericho, she was spared. She and her family were protected. It's a similar story, except what happened to Rahab? Rahab became an Israelite. Rahab turned from sin and wickedness and false worship to serve the true and living God. Rahab became a part of God's people. Rahab would ultimately be in the family line of Jesus. Yet, did this man turn from his wickedness? Did this man turn to the true God? Well, it says that he left a city called Luz and he moved next door and he started another city called Luz. So, all the Canaanite culture and wickedness and false worship that he'd been driven out of, well, he went and continued that next door. What seems like a nice story is showing that we're falling short of even that previous generation. There's gradual compromises. God's people are forgetting His Word. And from verse 27, things get really bad. Verse 27, Manasseh did not drive out. The Canaanites persisted in dwelling in the land. Verse 28, when Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to false labor, but did not drive them out completely. Verse 29, Ephraim did not drive out. Verse 30, Zebulon did not drive out. They just became subject to forced labor. Verse 31, Asher did not drive out. They did not drive them out. Verse 33, Naphtali did not drive out. Uh, Verse 35, uh, 3, Um, the the inhabitants just became subject to forced labour. Verse 35, they became subject to forced labour. Again and again, we see for most of the tribes of Israel, they didn't obey God's commands. They didn't drive out the inhabitants. Seems like a concession. They say, we didn't drive out the inhabitants, but we showed them who was boss. We didn't drive them out, but we, we subjected them to forced labour. But that's not keeping the commands of God. That's living in their own wisdom. That's not keeping the commands of God. Because even though they've showed the, the Canaanites who's boss, now they're using them for, for, for labour, actually, well, the wickedness, the false worship among them continues... What seems maybe close enough is good enough is actually compromise. And this compromise is actually breaking God's commands. And this will be disaster for them because God's people will be drawn in, tempted by the false worship and all kinds of wickedness. God's plan was to use this people to bless all the nations of the world. Yet if these people compromise, forget the commands of God, they're losing the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing, bringing blessing to all nations. Now, chapter 1 has told us what happened. What happened as God's people failed to drive out the inhabitants, a job unfinished. But then chapter 2 will tell us why it matters. 
chapter one was like going to the doctor and seeing all of the, uh, the symptoms we have. And look at all these people not failing to drive out the, the people. Chapter two will be like the doctor giving the diagnosis. This is what's going on. This is what's really wrong. And we hear uh, in chapter two, verse one to five, that it's a broken covenant. What seemed like compromise was actually breaking of the commandment, which ultimately would break the covenant. Verse 2.1, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bosham, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. God's been so good to his people. He's chosen them. He's made them His own. He's saved them and sustained them and been completely faithful to them. Like a faithful husband or wife, God has committed Himself wholly to these people and has been there for them, faithful to them. Therefore, He says, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. They've got a covenant with God. If they are one with their God, the Lord, they can't be in covenant with other people and their gods. See, the focus here is on breaking down their altars. Because you can't continue, like in a marriage, to say, oh, I'm being faithful to my wife while also committing adultery. No, God... God loves His people, God is committed to His people and they can't go worship other gods. He says in verse 2, you have not obeyed my voice, what is this you've done? So now I say, I'll not drive them out before you, they shall become thorns in your sides and their God shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words, all the people of Israel, the people to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the name of that place Bosham, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. They didn't obey God's voice. It wasn't just not quite close enough, or a little compromise. They'd failed to remember God's commands. They'd become complacent. And this forgetfulness, this complacency, was actually something that would ultimately break the covenant. This complacency would have effects for them and especially for their children. As we see that there is actually a forgotten salvation, verses two, 6 to 10. Now this passage zooms even further out and is giving us a, a wide view of what happened across two generations. We see in 2 verse 6, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who'd seen the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at age of 110 years. And they buried with him, him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnaheris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord 
all the work that he had done for Israel. A good generation didn't finish the job and the results for the next generation were disastrous. It's shocking that the generation after Joshua did not know the Lord. Their parents had seen God's care, God's victory. Their parents had been there at Jericho. Their parents had experienced God's faithfulness in a thousand ways, yet the next generation did not know the Lord. It's been said what one generation discovers, the next generation can assume and the next generation can lose or forget. And we see that happening here where we get the symptoms in chapter 1, God's people failing to drive out, failing to keep His Word, the wickedness, the false worship. Well, chapter 2 gives us the, the verdict. This was, God's, this was their disobedience. This was their breaking of the covenant. They'd forgotten God's commands and also, tragically, they'd forgotten His grace. And this leads us into, and leads God's people for years to come, into a cycle of sin and salvation. Uh, 2 verses 11 to 23. This is a cycle that we will see uh, again and again uh, in the coming weeks. As we work through Judges, like a clock, uh, we'll see this cycle play out. Uh, in, In this cycle, we'll see the sin of the people. Uh, And then after the sin, we will see, surely, uh, God will respond. God will respond in judgment. Uh, There'll be moments of crying out. God always hears. God will send a Saviour. He'll bring salvation. The people might serve and be faithful for a time. But again, they're going to return to their sin. This is a cycle of sin and salvation, but... I want us to see now, even as we we come and we'll see this cycle played out a dozen times in the the coming seven weeks, I want to see it's not just a cycle of sin and salvation, it's an ever-increasing cycle of God's incredible patience, love and mercy. First we have sin, verse 11, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who are around them and bowed down to them. They provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Here we see God's people falling into sin. Sin is not just doing bad things. Sin is turning our backs on our good God. Hear the language that's abandoning the Lord, going to other gods, provoking the Lord, abandoning the Lord. Sin is not just doing bad things, it's turning our back on our good and loving Creator. Uh, And we can see God has a response to sin. As we sin, if the people will keep falling into sin, well, God will judge, God will hand them over to their enemies. Verse 14, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and He gave them over to plunderers who plundered them and He sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. 
they were in terrible distress. Remember what Joshua had told them? God's faithful to keep His promises, yet God will also be faithful to punish as He has warned. And just as He had warned them that uh, they would not dwell happily in the land if they disobeyed His voice, well, they're given over. They're given over to, to these nations. We're told that they'd not done as the Lord had warned, it's as the Lord had sworn to them. And that phrase, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, that's hard, that's strong. Yet we need to see even here that God's hand of judgment, God's hand being against them, God giving them over to their enemies, is actually the most loving thing that God can do for them. If they've cut themselves off from their source of spiritual life, God can't let them think things are fine. God can't let them think that things are okay. Uh, God is letting them know that things are not okay, you are not fine, you've cut yourself off from your spiritual life. And so He hands them over that they would know that, know that things are not right and be led back to Him. And that's where we come to what sometimes is called repentance. I've seen this diagram many times, you might have seen it in the past, and sometimes people try to alliterate it and use sort of R's and repentance. But the thing is, in this passage, well, there's no repentance. If you read through the rest of Judges, there will never be genuine repentance. In this passage, verse 15, we're told they were in terrible distress, Uh, In future weeks, they might cry out to the Lord, yet that's as much as they ever do. They don't change their heart, they don't turn around in repentance. So we should, yeah, kind of take that repentance box out. Uh, If anything, this is not about us and our response, this is not about them and their repentance, this is about God and His mercy, this is about God and His pity. We're told that He heard their cries, We're told that God sees their terrible distress and because He is a God of love and compassion, His heart goes out to them. He hears them, even if they're not crying out to Him. Uh, God continues to show pity, mercy, love and hear their cries. God will bring salvation, raising up judges. We're told the Lord raised up judges, saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. God will be with these judges and He'll give victory through them. God will rescue His people. Throughout Judges, we'll get all kinds of crazy and wonderful and confusing picture of judges who God uses to deliver His people. But God is the God who saves. We'll see that for a time there may be faithfulness, for a time the people will serve the Lord as long as the judge lives. But then verse 19, we return to sin. Whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. This shows us that sin is addictive. Our sin is enslaving, Uh, we need someone to break us out of it. This cycle will keep going and going, unbroken throughout the the book of Judges. 
this cycle continues through history because we can't save ourselves. This cycle will keep going until God sends us His rescuer. In Jesus, we'll meet the one who, while we were still sinners, gave His life for us. In Jesus, we will see that God is a God of judge, a a God who judges, a God who hates sin, but a God who takes that judgment upon Himself, that the Son of God uh, took the wrath deserved for us. In Jesus, we'll see God's mercy and salvation poured out on us, not because of our repentance or even because we cried out, but while we were dead in our sins and transgressions. In Jesus, we'll see a better Saviour who rescues us from our enemies, Satan, sin and death. In Jesus, we will have a Saviour who doesn't last for a few years or a generation, but a Saviour who leads us and protects us and gives us life and peace and safety for all of eternity. You don't know this Saviour, Jesus. If you're trying to get yourself out of that cycle of sin... Turn to Him, you need a rescuer. Our God is compassionate. He will hear. He'll hear your cry. For those of us who do know Jesus, well, we need to, like the Israelites, we need to remember God's grace and God's commands. Uh, In some ways, we're, we're like these Israelites. We have received many of the promises of God, they are yes in Jesus, yet we're still living day by day fighting sin. We have received so much of the promised salvation in Jesus, yet there's still a need to pass it on. For those of us who know Jesus, let's make sure we keep fighting sin. We've been saved from the penalty of sin, We are gradually being freed from the power of sin. We wait for the day when we'll be saved from the presence of sin. But today, let's not get comfortable. Let's not get complacent. There might have been a day where you were fighting sin. Maybe when you first came to Christ, you realized there were things that you just couldn't keep doing. You needed to turn from that. But is your fight against sin, is your Christian life now in autopilot? Do you feel like you can manage your sin? Like, just make sure, there's a little bit of sin there, but just make sure it doesn't get out of hand. Just make sure it doesn't hurt anyone too much. God's Word says we can't manage sin, we need to put it to death. To think that I can, um, I can maybe look at things or think about kind of impure things, but I'd never actually act on those desires... That sounds like the Israelites saying, like, I, didn't, I didn't drive out the inhabitants, but at least they're, they're subject to forced labour. At least they know who's boss. No, we can't hold on to a bit of sin and think it knows who's boss. No, sin is dangerous. Friends, let's flee from it. You may feel overwhelmed like the fight against sin is futile, like you've been trying and failing, yet don't give up, don't lose hope, because your God is with you. When God's people kind of met with iron chariots, they seemed to give up. And it could be easy for us to say, yeah, I would be, 
I would be kind of more pure in my words, but like everyone in the workplace talks like this. It's like iron chariots, well that would be a problem if we were by our own, but if you have the Spirit of God living in you, then He is with you to help you. I feel like it can be hard to, to live a pure life when there's so many images around us on the internet, on, the, the, on um, advertising, which are drawing us in. It's true, there are iron chariots, there are hard things about living a godly life. Both things are strong, yet our God is stronger. If you trust Jesus, the God who dwells in you is stronger. So don't, keep up, don't give up, keep fighting sin. We sang earlier on in that song, let, let this be the cry of our hearts, of all of our lives. O great God of highest, high, of highest heavens, occupy my lowly heart, own it all, reign supreme, conquer every rebel power, let no vice or sin remain that resists your holy war, you have loved and purchased me, make me yours forevermore. God's war is no longer nations, no longer people, God is working, fighting against Satan's sin and death, He is doing that in the world, He is doing that in your lives. So would you trust Him, walk with Him and keep fighting sin? We need to keep, make sure we keep passing on the truths of God. We need to keep passing on. This tragic verse, we were told, a generation arose up after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. We need to take a warning from that. Parents, are you passing on the Gospel? No, parents, we can be in different stages. You might be about to sort of enter parenthood or you might have young children and just at the start, you might be further on and you might have had victories or you might have lots of regrets. You might have great sorrow over ways your children have not yet come to trust in your Lord Jesus. Yet wherever we're at, no matter what stage of parenting, Let's pass the gospel on, do everything we can that the next generation would know the work that God has done for His people. Let's spend time with our kids in the Word, ask a friend for ideas how to do this. It can be hard, yet let's open the Bible with our, our kids so that they know the great works of God in history. But here, the problem for the people in, in this day, it wasn't just that they didn't know the great deeds of God in Israel. When it says they did not know the work He'd done, in the previous verses, that was the work He'd done in their parents' lives. So you want your kids to know the Gospel, but your kids should also know your testimony. You're sharing the Scriptures and what God has done in history. But are you sharing how the Lord has worked in your life? Your testimony sharing even your struggles in faith, your struggles against sin and how God has been faithful. No matter where your kids are at, no matter what stage of parenting you're in, keep sharing. And friends, as a church, are we passing it on? Are we passing on uh, the gospel, the mighty deeds of God to the next generation? We're so thankful for those who are serving the kids of our church, the tweens of our church, the youth of our church. Let's keep doing that. Let's keep throwing ourselves into it. And kids, especially kids, if you've grown up in a godly household, make sure that you would listen. 
You know, the strongest words in this passage aren't actually for the parents, the strong words are for the kids. Verse 12, it says, they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who'd brought them out of the land of Egypt. He was the God of their fathers. Verse 22, it was in order to test Israel by them, whether or not they'll take care to walk in the way the Lord of the Lord as their fathers did. If you've grown up in a godly home, there is no greater privilege. Would you look to your parents? Would you look to all those things they've they've brought you to church? Would you look to the God of your fathers? Would you look to Him in faith? God's given you a great gift. And finally, would we all remember? It could be easy to feel like even that cycle, to go through cycles where we're eagerly following the Lord and then it gets familiar. We get excited by a conference or a great sermon, but then it kind of all gets familiar a bit. Where we fight for a time against sin, but then we put on cruise control. We need to remember, we need to remember God's grace, God's commands, and we remember by rehearsing together, filling our lives with the gospel. In Deuteronomy, God had told His people, talk about the commands of God as you walk along the way, put them there on your doorposts, fill it with your lives. Colossians 3, we're told, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Friends, keep coming here, hearing judges, keep meeting with others to read the Word, fill your life with God's Word, be in a community group, meet with others to read the Word. We need one another to remember And it's in remembering that the God of mercy will sustain us. He will help us to fight sin. It's in remembering that He'll keep pointing us back to His love, His wisdom, His initiative, His incredible mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You that You are at work. Thank You that You've kept Your promises to us in Jesus. I thank You for all You have done for us. Lord, You have amazed most of us. For most of us, we have been amazed with Your mercy, Your grace. Don't let us forget it. Don't let us be complacent. Would You help us to fight sin? Would You help us to pass it on? Would You fill our minds, our hearts, our speech with the grace, with your grace, with your commands. And so would you continue to work in us uh, for our good, for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.